I have made it a focal point to show you the flow of covenant, right? This covenant relationship that God has had with his people. And ultimately how Israel would have understood and looked back to these details in Genesis as their beginnings. We have discussed the covenant creation that was established in Genesis chapter 1. Basically that God makes his people heaven and earth. That's the name for his people. He makes these people his image. They're going to convey him to the world. And they're established to bring light into the world. We read about the fall and the removal of that image from the glorious Garden of Eden, which throughout the biblical story becomes a picture of the blessed reality God provides to those who live in obedience to him. We read of the wicked lineages that lead up to the time of the patriarchs. And in more recent weeks, we have continued to learn about the patriarchs of Israel's family story, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As we continue through the biblical story, we will see that all of these details in Genesis highlight the very beginning, the Genesis, which is what that word actually means, of God's relationship with his people Israel, the apple of his eye. In that historic time, they were the only people to whom God truly revealed himself and with whom he had a relationship with. We will ultimately come to a greater understanding through our study today, a greater understanding of that beginning story of how God has had a relationship with his people and how he has a relationship with his people and how these details of Jacob's vision ultimately have significance for us. It's very important to study the Old Testament to better understand the reality that we have in Jesus Christ. No one wants to have doubt, and I surely know as long as I serve in ministry, I don't want anyone to have doubt where I'm serving or even out in the world. I get frustrated that the world's confused about the things of God. Therefore, a searching out and a proving of the details is necessary. However, as we gather on a Sunday morning and we, we think about learning the things of God, the most important thing that we need to take note of is the reality that we have in Jesus Christ and ultimately what we're called to do with that reality. You know, I know a lot of times we get bogged down in the details and we talk about details upon details. This morning, I want it to be a bit more simple for us. I want us to focus in on what do these details about Jacob's vision say about our relationship with God And then what are we called to do with such relationship? As I prayed through preparing for this sermon and reviewing the details I set before you last week, I must admit it was a bit much. The image actually I got this morning was when you take too large of a bite of something. You know, you ever do that, right? You take too large of a bite, you sit there, you're choking, you're trying to swallow it. Maybe somebody's talking to you and you're trying to, you know, get through the whole thing. And that's how I felt about last week's message. It was a bit too much, to be quite honest. So... We began this journey back in January. We said we were going to think through the scriptures, right? Um, I don't know about you, but thinking takes time. It's sometimes a slow thing, right? You want to sit down. You want to really think. I, honestly, a lot of the false teachings that are out there and a lot of the confusion that is out there in this world comes by going too fast, going through the scriptures. You know, haste makes waste. So of that, I, I sort of rebuke my message last week and say, relax, slow down. We're not going to get raptured tomorrow, right? So we have some time to look into these details. I want us to... The goal through this journey, as we began in January, is to get us to really think through the morsels of truth that are put before us, to really dig in, to go a bit deeper into the truths. Lately, in some work that I have produced, I have referred to this as the intentions, implications, and extensions of the scripture. What are the deeper things that are revealed through the scripture? Again, most of us know, we talked about it in our Sunday school this morning, what happens when people just take a Bible verse and they just run with what they think it means? And I think all of us could probably attest to we've seen so much confusion in the Christian church when people do that. 
So instead of doing that, I think what we want to do is we really want to settle down and actually read the text and know what the text says to us. So I say all of that to say that I'm developing a new teaching. Did you know that I say, I say all of that to say a lot? Don Preston has his, uh, you know, catch the power of this. Raven told me this week mine should be, I say all of that to say. And, you know, I, I, al- I always have another conclusion I'm trying to lead to. So that could be good and it could sometimes be bad. Um, However, I say all of that because I'm working on my own teaching style. And uh, prayerfully, you'll see this as a part of my journey in learning. You know, again, I'm 34 years old, constantly learning. But you'll also see it as a part of my journey in discipling and teaching our congregation. That, you know, this is all a journey. It ultimately should always be growing and increasing. And ultimately, it's a God-glorifying effort to better communicate the truth of God. So... When we talk about the truths, it's not so much that we would get a better understanding of them, but it's also so that we can go out into the world. You know, our, our door on our the sign on our door says, you are now entering your mission field. This isn't the mission. This is the sitting down and getting prepared for the mission. So my point is, is that my new teaching style is going to be sort of segmented. I want to start leading us in a way that's teach, think through, and send. And you see this on the back of your bulletin. I sort of provided a little bit of an outline today. Teach. Think through and send. Again, I want to teach you truths. I want to impart truths from God's word to you. I want us to think through them. And then I want us to leave here as knowing that we're sent into the world to do something with what we learned here. Right? That makes sense? I remember last year we called it a... I forgot what we called it, but we called it something when we were leaving here. I think it was something, you know, what we were leaving with, the truth that we were leaving with. But now my goal moved from this day forward, and let's mark this out. From this day forward, it needs to be teach, let's learn something, let's think through the truths that we're learning, and let's go out there and actually do something. Let's make an impact on this world, even if it's a, you know, a small way. Because Small ways are usually big ways. So let's get into the teaching part. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. If you don't mind, I'm just going to read them to us quickly. If you're reading from the Pew Bible and you wanted to follow along, it's going to be on page 29. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there. Because the sun had set, he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and laid down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed." Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it upon a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take 
and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you. So this is sort of the narrative continuing from where we ended last week. We know the backstory is that Jacob has been given a name from his mother and father as deceiver. And again, I think all of us know the significance of a name in the ancient world. It was your destiny. So nobody wants to be born into the world and called thief or deceiver. And ultimately, that's Jacob's story. And he lives up to his name. He steals his brother's birthright, steals his brother's blessings. And uh, this creates some friction in their family. And uh, ultimately, what ends up happening, as we ended last week, was Isaac, Jacob's father, tells him, you got to go. You got to go Go to your father's house. I don't want you to marry any of the women that are living in this land, in the land of Canaan. I want you to go back to where we're from, you know, back to Ur of Chaldees there. Go back there and get yourself a wife. And again, we know that this is very important in the story. We see this happen with Abraham. We see this happen with Isaac. Um, ultimately, they all bring wives from that land, from their cultural identity in Ur. So we see the opposite with Esau. Esau, of course, grieves his mother and his father, and he decides, not one wife of the people of the land. I'm going to get three. I want three wives of the people of the land that I'm supposed to stay away from. So you see his increased wickedness there in the story. So you would imagine Jacob now deceives his father, right, Isaac, and this whole story of uh, putting on fur and you know making yourself smell like a man of the field and going up to your father. He, uh, he does all of this. He deceives his father, and he receives the birthright that belonged to Esau, the firstborn. And what this culminates in is basically Isaac telling Jacob, get out of land. You know, Rebecca and Isaac both tell uh, Jacob, it's time for you to go. Get out of this land. And uh, he does. Jacob listens. Jacob is the obedient son. They tell him to go to his uncle's house, his mother's brother. So as we're now, we're reading the following part of that here in chapter, verse 10. So he leaves, you know, obviously, I often wonder, and this is going to be a part of the sermon this morning, is I wonder, what was his attitude leaving? You know, he just stole his brother's birthright, so he can't be thinking all that great about himself. Um, I stole my brother's birthright. I had to leave because I stole my brother's birthright, and now I have to go find a wife in a land that I'm not familiar with. And I just have to go over there, and this seems to be a lot. And the text here in verse 10 says, he arrived at a certain place. It doesn't tell us the place. doesn't tell us the location. I don't know how you feel when you show up in a dark, lonely place that you have no idea where you're at. You know, it seems that, that would, his mindset would be pretty obvious. Probably wondering if God had taken away the blessings because he's a deceiver. You know, is God really with me? I know I'm going to listen to my mother and my father. I'm going to go up here and I'm going to get myself a wife listening to my mother and my father. But is God really with me? Do I really carry the blessings of my father and um, my grandfather? Again, imagine how that would feel. You ever feel in doubt about your faith? You ever feel in doubt about whether God's with you or not? He sits in the middle of nowhere, the city of Luz. Verse 19 tells us this city used to be called Luz. If you do a study in your Bible and you, you begin to, you know, even outside of your Bible, just do some research on the city of Luz. It was a wicked city. So here he is. He's, you know, he's basically in the middle of this wicked place and he decides, I'm just going to there is some significance there. Notice he doesn't go into anybody's house. He doesn't go anywhere. You know what? You remember the story with uh, Abraham and Lot, and ultimately Jacob knows something here. I'm not going to go in any of these people's houses. You remember those guys that went over to Lot's house and decided to stay there? And you, right? So I'm, I'm not going to go in any of these wicked people's houses because of the things that they're doing. So I'm just going to sleep right here in a certain place. doesn't tell us where he's at. And then he lays down and he has this vision. 
So he sees angels ascending and descending from the throne of God. These angels affirm the promise given to his forefathers. It seems that Jacob is being given a vision of God's work. That's what this angel's going to and fro, you know, ascending and descending, is the uh, image of a messenger going out with a message. I know for us, we oftentimes, we've been so uh, taught that angels are this mysterious being and this must represent going up and down from heaven. Um, Heaven is not up. Heaven is this way. So when you picture uh, uh, angels ascending and descending, the language might denote up and down, but really what it meant was he's seen messengers going and coming. And it basically meant that this was the one true God doing something. The work was always being done. If uh, I was to qualify the ascending and descending language, it's that God is always at work, right? So Jacob, in his eyes, he's looking at it like, I'm supposed to be a part of this blessed covenant people. Here I am sleeping in the middle of nowhere, laying on a rock. But obviously, there's a, a greater reality that's going on, and that's what he gets this vision of. He gets this vision that God is at work. Ascending, angels ascending and descending simply means God is at work. We oftentimes get so caught up in the material world that we forget that there's a greater reality beyond this world, right? We get so caught up in the way we're perceiving the things that are happening in our lives or the struggles that we're facing, and we sometimes get so bogged down in those details, and we don't recognize that God is always at work. God is always working in the details. And that seems to be what's happening here with Jacob. Jacob leaves his family. He has these doubts, probably a little bit of frustration, confused. And God blesses him with this vision that, you know, notice I'm at work. I'm always at work in everything that I'm doing. And that's what seems to be conveyed to Jacob here. Maybe some of the dismal circumstances in Jacob's life had begun to overshadow the blessing and birthright he had received from his father. So he began to doubt. Again, this is a very normal thing. The vision confirmed the things that he needed confirmed. Consider his response in verses 16 through 22. Then Jacob arose from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, the very gate of heaven. So he arose in the morning, he took a stone, placed the pillar that he was sleeping on on that pillar, the stone that he was sleeping on on that pillar, pours oil on top of it, renames the city, right? Because Luz, again, it's not really known for the best things. So he renames it the house of God. I love when God takes things that were bad and turns them for the glory of God, you know? Amen. And uh, that's what he does there with the city of Luz. And then he makes a vow. He basically says to God, you know what? If, you, if you're with me, I will give you 10% of anything I gain. God is in this place. You know, I'm a very much of the view that when we recognize that God is present somewhere or God's present in a situation, we should respond like Jacob. He responds with two things. He responds with fear, right? We know in the new covenant, perfect love casts out fear, but there's still that reverence for God. And Jacob has that. He responds with a reverence that God is there. And then he declares the praise. That's one of the major reasons why we do that corporate praise and prayer in our, in our service is that there's something godly about lifting up your declared praise, And that's what we see all throughout the Bible. You see these saints, that's what they do. When they come into a a situation where God is present, they have fear, they have a reverence for God, and they declare his praise. So, you know, people ask me, what do you do at church? Well, we do two things. We, you know, we have reverence for the presence of God, and we declare his praise. And that seems right here what Jacob does. Then he has this pillar. He he obviously, that's a part of his reverence. You you see, he learned this from his grandfather Abraham, right? And Abraham learned it from his great-grandfather Abel you know, and so forth, because 
They begin this, this covenant story is every time they see the presence of God, they build an altar and they recognize God is in this place. I think about that in my own personal life. Am I building the proper altars? Maybe not physically, but am I building the proper altars to know where God has been at work? Because that's what these covenant people did. They knew that very well. Let me denote that God is here. You know, prayerfully, you're saying that this morning. You're saying God is in this place. This is where we come. We know the presence of God. And then, of course, begins this covenant of tithing, 10%, which would later be incorporated in the law of Moses. That I believe that they, that's because they would remember this promise right here with Jacob. They would remember when, remember when Jacob came into the land and God gave, you know, God gave him this promise, this vision, and, he, and Jacob's response was, I will give you 10%. So his family is going to follow that, you know, that sort of uh, that covenant, that promise. You know, if he gives us anything, we'll give him 10% of everything that he gives us. If you were of the people Israel throughout the centuries prior to the Messiah, this would have definitely given you a, um, a recogni- recognition that you're a part of that covenant line with Jacob. The confirming feature of the story, and also highlights the seemingly dark places situations can lead us, is that Jacob is seeing a move of God. He's desperate for a move of God at this point. And again, just as Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending to give him a a picture that God is always at work, I think we all need that. We all need that same thing, to know that God is always at work. When we, you know, again, Jacob, all he sees is a desert and it looks dark and frightening, but then this vision clarified for him that even through my dismal circumstance, God is still at work. It's important to notice that Jacob did exercise obedience to the command in that he actually left the land. He could have said to Isaac, you know what, I'm going to stay here and get away from the land. But he, he recognized and he moved with obedience. And then he maintained an openness and a willingness to worship God. I don't know about you. I know in my situations when I feel like God hasn't given me the blessed according to my understanding, I'm not all that willing at moments to listen to the, the next right thing. Right? I remember somebody asked me that once. They said, as a Christian, what, what's your law? I said, to always do the next right thing. Right? That's just constant. every situation I find myself in. Always do. I know Alan Bondar would say it. Uh, always do the n- most loving thing. So here... Jacob, the next right thing was to listen to Isaac, right? You stole your brother's birthright. You did all of this. You created a family mess. Now listen to Isaac, the man of covenant. That's going to be important as we go through this message. The man of covenant tells Jacob, go to the land where your mother's father is. Go get a wife from there. And Jacob obeys. He obeys to the point that that's what led him to this opportunity to have this vision, is his obedience. Imagine if he would have never left. He would have never had this vision. He would have never had this opportunity to see this vision of angels ascending and descending. Again, the message that God is at work. He would have never had that opportunity had he not walked in obedience. So in Jacob's moment of vulnerability and obedience, God shows up and demonstrates his truth. Jacob was in the right place. A place which he knew the very presence of God and was blessed with the knowledge that confirmed the promises that had already been given to him. You know, a lot of big thing in Christianity is we have a lot of promises that have been given to us, but they go unrealized because we don't do the next right thing. We don't do that. You actually, you know, going to carry it further. We don't listen to the covenant man, which is Jesus Christ, the covenant man that tells us to do the next right thing. We don't do that. We just kind of do it our own way. So it's important for us to notice here, Jacob, in getting this experience of clarity, and anybody in the room that's looking for clarity on anything, this is our message that we could take hold of. He does the next right thing. And he's open to the revelation from God. He's open to the wisdom that would come from God. 
in the New Testament, this angels and the angels ascending and descending talk is used in reference to Jesus Christ. This shouldn't surprise anyone this morning. In John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, we read of Jesus calling his disciples and going into Galilee and meeting Philip and Nathanael. And I wanted to start there at John chapter 1, verse 47. It says this, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed who is there in, who, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, you were under a fig tree and I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, this is why you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus brings Nathanael's mind to Jacob's dream in verse 51. Right? Nathanael knew these stories. He's a Jew. He, he, he was taught about his ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So why does Jesus bring Nathanael's mind to Jacob's dream? Again, Jacob was confused, was waiting for, you know, trying to affirm, is this, am I going to the land where my father wants me to go to get a wife? And is my life going to prosper? Is God with me? Is he going to affirm the covenant he made with Isaac that, I mean, he made with Abraham, my grandfather? Is he going to affirm the covenant he made with my father that my father promised me? And ultimately, he goes and he goes to this land, falls asleep, has this vision. This vision is clarifying that for him, that yes, the covenant is with you. God is with you. I believe Nathaniel in his time in the first century was living in a confusing time as well. They hadn't heard from God for about 500 years and uh, they're waiting for the Messiah and they're sort of wondering, is the Messiah ever going to come? Is he, is he around? And sure enough, Jesus right here, which should be very clear, is Jesus basically is saying, I am him. I'm, I'm him. The angels are ascending. The work of God is now being done through me. Right? The angels ascending and descending. He basically tells Nathaniel, you will have confirmation. You will see God in this place. Or better said, you will see God present in and through the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. So I want us to think through that detail there. Because all of that we should know. That's our teaching. Right? That's what we should know. We should know that Jacob had a dream and the vision ultimately is culminated through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the reality of clarity. Right? If you want clarity in regards to God's covenant... We shouldn't be seeking a vision. We should be seeking Jesus. So that, that should be very relevant, but what I, uh, very evident. What I want us to think about, though, is how this was used by Jesus and the apostles and the truth that it implies. That's what we're going to think through. How was this used? The house of God, right? Remember in Jacob's dream, after the dream, what does he say? This is the house of God. Well, then what about us realizing that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that? Should we be saying this is the house of God? And sure enough, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That sure sounds like the house of God. Jesus is the house of God. Jesus' church, which I'll show you here in a moment, is the house of God. The gate of heaven is another one he said, right? He said that this is the gate of heaven. This is the access point to heaven. Jesus says, John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man can get to the Father but through me. Jesus is the gate of heaven. So you see, Jesus is ultimately pointing out he is these realities. Let's carry it a bit further. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Church. The church is the house of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, to carry that point further. Although I am least, the Apostle Paul here talking to the church at Ephesus, although I am less than the least of all the apostles, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of the mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he has accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. The church. The church is the reality. It is the house of God. It is the gate of heaven. It's the reality. We are that access point. I heard a sermon this week talking about the Christian life being a veiled experience to get to heaven until we get to heaven. This is a rather unfortunate misunderstanding regarding the eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. Eternal life is not something we gain when we die to get better, greater clarity. Rather, eternal life is what we now have through Jesus Christ. Uh, John 17.3 tells us that this is eternal life, that we would know God and that we would know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. The greater glory doesn't come when we pass out of this life. The, the unveiling of what Jacob was seeing in that vision doesn't come when we die and we pass into another existence. It comes when we understand the truth of Jesus Christ. The greater clarity and glory is revealed as we press in to learn more about the knowledge of God. Not only that we learn it, but that we walk in obedience to the truths that are relayed. If we find in ourselves a moment like Jacob, right, this doubt, maybe despairing some things we've done in life, I imagine Jacob would have had that, right? He's walking away from, I just stole my brother's blessing and birthright. And, you know, so if we ever find ourselves in that time where we're maybe in despair about some things we've thought, or things we've done. Or maybe we're a bit confused about the covenant promises. You know, again, we know within Christianity, there's that whole, can I lose my salvation? Or uh, where, what is the source of salvation? All these questions. If we ever find ourselves in a moment like that, especially wondering about eternal life and how that applies to us, we can know these answers have been supplied in and through Jesus Christ. Because we have seen, not that we'll, not we will see, we have seen that angels have ascended and descended upon the Son of Man, that the work of God has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. We can discern from Jacob's vision and the work God continually does in and through his church that God is always at work. Those angels are always descending and ascending. As the scriptures say, for as many are the promises of God, in him they are yes, therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. The promises are always yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So how do we leave here? Knowing this very simple truth that this is the house of God, this is the gate of heaven, and, you know, and that we should ultimately, prayerfully, we're all finding ourselves just like Jacob. When we see that, we want to have reverence. Prayerfully, it gives us reverence for this place. Prayerfully, that gives us reverence for our salvation in Jesus Christ. Prayerfully, that gives us reverence for Jesus Christ and glory for Jesus Christ. 
and uh, also that it, it challenges, challenges us to lift up praise. What are you saying when you come into the house of God? What are you saying when you approach the house of God, meaning Jesus Christ? What are the declared praises that are coming out of your mouth? Now, I don't expect any of us to go and build an altar because I don't see anybody sleeping on a rock. So, uh, you know, I, I don't intend for us to do that. However, there, there needs to be some sort of response. There was a response from everybody in the scriptures when they had these moments where they seen the presence of God. So we need a response. The promises that were veiled throughout what we refer to as the Old Covenant, which was the physical lineage of Israel, were made manifest and a reality in and through Jesus Christ. Not to those of the physical lineage or the fleshly lineage, but to those of the faith. The New Testament speaks on this abundantly. It's humbling to read the promises that were revealed to the patriarchs because they reveal the sovereignty of God. They reveal the faithfulness of God, the protection, the love, the grace, all those amazing things that come from God. But I'll tell you another humbling thing about, about seeing these truths is their responses. You see, each patriarch responds to the blessings and we see a continued confirmation of what God is doing throughout that covenant line. And that's something that humbles me as well. I ask myself, okay, it's one thing to recognize how great God is, but then it's another thing to consider, how am I responding to the greatness of God? How is that looking in my life? I know I surely have found myself in moments of despair and doubt. The story of Jacob makes it all too clear that sometimes it takes a step of obedience, a walk in the right direction to gain clarity or confirmation on something. Praise God that God reveals all things to us as we seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of God that has been made known in and through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament times, and sadly in the lives of many today in the world, they were and are seeking understanding on how God would accomplish his promises to give peace and healing to a desperate world. Oddly enough, you could talk to somebody that claims to be an atheist and they'll say, if God exists, where's the peace and healing and the comfort and the love that should come from God? So a lot of people are very confused about these things. And so many theories, false teachings, false religions have been devised to figure this out. Worse yet, more misery and calamity has come from what some people have said is their understanding of how God works in this world. However, God has made it known. It's not a mystery anymore. It's the, great, it's the greater realities we know as we live as the image of God, we the church, being the body of God in this world, being the, the hands and the feet, so to speak. The church possesses the promises, and they've been spiritually realized. So when the world says, why doesn't God bring more love? That's a challenge for the church to bring more love. When the world says, why hasn't God brought healing? That's a challenge for the church to walk worthy of the healing that is required in the world. One of the ones obviously frustrates me the most. People say, if God, if God is real and he's made himself known, why is it so confusing? And I sit there and I say, that's, that's a real call to the church because we're the ambassadors of this message. An important point to consider this morning as we conclude is to relish the fact that we, the church, have the greater clarity of knowing how and where to access the presence of God, the gate of heaven, the house of God, in and through the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we know that greater glory comes with greater responsibility. That's something we need to mark out this morning. I truly believe that we here at Blue Point Bible Church, as well as many other Christians outside of our congregation, many of whom will be joining us here at this upcoming conference, are on the front lines of experiencing a greater glory within the church, greater clarity, greater conviction, and greater purpose. Yes, I hold Jesus to the words where he said, you will see greater things than these. I hold him to that. 
And again, I believe that's qualified with greater clarity, greater conviction, and greater purpose of what we're supposed to be doing. However, all of that requires a greater responsibility. If we're going to get any of that, it's going to come because we did the next right thing, just like Jacob did. How did Jacob even begin to venture on toward loves? I just want to point out verses 1 through 5 in Genesis. Genesis chapter 28, verses 1 through 5. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and from there take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went on to Paddan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So prayerfully you caught it. He was sent by Jacob. He listened to Jacob. This is essentially the truth that the Apostle Paul conveys in Romans chapter 10 about his call to go to the Gentiles. He says, how will they hear unless I am sent? He also implies in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 that the church has been called to make known the manifold wisdom of God. So the church is that covenant man. You see, that church is Isaac. Like Isaac was in his time, he was the covenant man in covenant with God. And he had a blessing to give to those who are seeking covenant blessings. Jacob was seeking a covenant blessing. So Isaac, the covenant man, blesses the man seeking a covenant blessing. We have the blessing, and it comes with the necessity of passing it on. So I ask each of us, each and every one of us, who has God placed in your life that is seeking blessing in some way? Maybe they're seeking clarity of God in some way. Maybe they're seeking healing. Maybe they're seeking peace. Whatever it is that emanates from the presence of God, the house of God, and the gate of heaven, I guarantee everybody in this room has somebody in their life that's seeking that. That their next part in their journey is contingent upon you blessing them and sending them into more truth. Maybe, just maybe, your blessing is necessary in their journey to find the presence of God. I'm sure each of us have stories of how someone came to us with a certain blessing, whether it was a kind deed, a good word, a necessary word of truth, or something else. Something that blessed us and allowed us to have the next part of our experience. And it helped lead us into other blessings. So how are you intentionally doing that for others? As ambassadors of the truth, as the people that recognize we are the house of God, we are the gate to heaven. How are we offering this blessing like Isaac did to Jacob to send him on to gain greater clarity. I want to make sure that I'm being a responsible Isaac in my life. I want to be an Isaac. That even after Isaac messed up royally, if you remember that whole story, he seeks to bless even those who bear the burden of being deceivers or worse. Again, this wasn't his prized child. This is the child that just deceived me. He he blessed him to the point of allowing him the opportunity to see angels ascending and descending, meaning the work of God. Then allowing for him to declare, like Jacob, and I want to give other people in the world this opportunity that are like Jacob, stealers, thieves, etc. I want to give them the opportunity to do what Jacob did, where they can exclaim, I have found the house of God. I have found the gate of heaven. So yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. And I imagine 
If any of you know the story, you know St. Patrick would have been very well acquainted with this call to bless other people that are kind of like Jacob, deceivers and bad. And, you know, that's a whole story there. If you don't know the story, I'd urge you to look into it a bit. It'll give you a little missionary zeal on the people that we are called to serve. So in closing, I'd like to end by reading through the famous prayer that commemorates St. Patrick, called the St. Patrick's Breastplate. Before doing so, I just want to drive this point home, that we as the people of God are that Isaac, that covenant man, that needs to go to the, the people that we consider the most despicable. I don't know how you look at a thief, but you know, we're called to go to the people that we view the most despicable and bless them and allow them to experience the next part of their journey. Which, again, for some people is them wandering to a certain place and maybe being given a vision in regards to God's work. But, again, it took Isaac to say, I need you to go from here. I need you. Isaac gave Jacob the opportunity to do the next right thing. Are we doing that in our lives? Because that's what we need to do. We need to give the world an opportunity to see the ascending and descending messengers of God. Let's end in prayer. I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and the one in three. I bind this day to me forever by faith, Christ's incarnation, his baptism in the Jordan River, his death on the cross for my salvation, his bursting forth from the spiced tomb, his riding upon the heavenly way, his coming at the day of doom. I bind unto myself today. I bind unto myself the power of the great love of the cherubim, the sweet well done in judgment hour, the service of the seraphim, the confessor's faith, the apostle's word, the patriarch's prayers, the prophet's scrolls, all good deeds done unto the Lord, and purity of virgin souls. I bind unto myself today the virtues of the starlit heaven, the glorious sun's life-giving ray, the whiteness at the moon of even, the flash of the lightning, the whirlwinds, tempestuous shocks, the stable earth, the deep salt sea, all around the eternal rocks. I bind unto myself today the power of God to, to hold and to lead, his eye to watch, his might to stay, his ear to hearken to my need, the wisdom of my God to teach, his hand to guide, his shield to ward, the word of God to give me speech, his heavenly host to be my guard. Take this up against the demon snares of sin, the vice that gives temptation force, the natural lusts that war within, the hostile men that may mar my course. Few or many, far or near, in every place and in all hours, against their fierce hostility, I bind to me these holy powers. Against Satan's spells and wiles, against false words of heresy, against the knowledge that defiles, against the heart's idolatry, against the wizard's evil craft, against the death wound and the burning, the choking wave and the poisoned shaft. Protect me, Christ. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger. Christ in the hearts of all that love. Christ in the mouth of friend and stranger. I bind into myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same. The three in one, the one in three, 
of whom all nature has creation, eternal Father, Spirit, and Word. Praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. Amen.